Warning. The Return to Snakeland podcast contains descriptions of sexual assault, suicide, and murder. If you feel there is any possibility of triggering, please listen with caution. This is episode six, the continuation and conclusion of the John Justice murders. Keep moving here. Uh, John Justice's purported explanation was far more mundane. He had been desperate to go to college, desperate to get away, desperate to be something his parents could not be. And through it all, his mother had thwarted him. The final provocation, according to a police source, had been a Sunday night argument over household chores that John believed interfered with his studies. Previously, his mother had repeatedly refused to give him a penny for the college education he wanted, despite the fact that she and her husband earned more than $50,000 a year between them. I, I, I can't even say how much that would be now. You know, accounting for uh, for inflation, right? But, but that's a lot I'm, of money for I'm, 1985. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, yeah. So, again, um, you know, just adding to his resentment, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he told me he killed his mother because she was against him for everything he ever wanted to do. Says Dr. Tim Rasmussen, who treated justice at the hospital. He said he killed his brother and father out of love. So they wouldn't feel hurt when he and his mother were gone. Yeah, that's that's a pretty distorted view of reality. Oh, undoubtedly. But I'm also uh, wondering if that wasn't just kind of like, you know, appended after the fact so that uh it wouldn't it wouldn't appear you know, I mean it, it wouldn't contribute to uh you know potentially more jail time. I know? guess. I mean, but obviously he killed his brother first, and then he knew he was going to go after his mother. So, so there was a, there was some kind of calculation there. Uh, talking about calculation, I just looked up online: fifty thousand dollars in nineteen eighty-five works out to be a hundred and twenty-three thousand dollars a year in two thousand twenty-one money. So they they were doing okay. Yeah, pretty yeah, good. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, for for you know, well. For for a, for a, you know again it it depends when you when you add together the whole family but but still you know again they weren't they weren't uh, just they were, scraping by it yeah so. they weren't hand to mouth yeah exactly right right so but bitterness over his dashed college plans may have been just one aspect of a deep seated hatred <laughs> says Officer Thomas Hinchy head comes of back again and this guy just aid program. We can't really get away from Hinchy. Oh, we really should just called this podcast Hinchy. <laughs> you know, like I mean, I like I like it just as 
kinchy. You know, <laughs> just that, <laughs> like reminds me of Columbo or something. Yeah. You know, just like one more question, ma'am. <laughs> oh, this fucking guy. Anyway, um, head of the Kenmore Police's juvenile aid program. The few people who knew the Justice family described young John as an exceptionally bright but emotionally unstable teenager who had grown to feel intolerably frustrated. His father, a high school dropout, huh, who had come to Buffalo from Shelbyville, Indi- Indiana, was an emotionally closeted man. He spent his days repairing conveyor belts and his evenings bowling with his wife. Mary Justice led a life that seemed equally stifling. The work was grueling and Mary was often depressed, says a female co-worker who sanded bathroom vanities with her for six years. I was always trying to coax her out of her rut, get her to take vacations with my family, but they never wanted to do anything. Okay, so a couple things. Um, uh-huh. Okay, I gotta break this down. Uh, the Hinchy thing, obviously, I don't know why they keep on going to this guy, but he's he's their point man. Yeah. So, father, he's as he brought up an emotionally closeted man. So obviously, he shows no emotion whatsoever with his children and maybe his wife. Who knows? And high school dropout. So yeah. possibly. Maybe had never had the opportunity to further his education, or maybe had no desire to. I mean, that's that's hard to say. Uh, Mary Justice. Um, so, if they're sanding bathroom vanities, and if this is what I think it is, like Corian and stuff like that, that is incredibly dusty, dirty work. You have to like you're you're getting you're you're in a full suit with like mask and and, and goggles and things. It's it is not fun. I've I, I've I've been in shops like that before. It is awful work. The fact that she's doing that and you know she's you know working these just long hours and doing I I can't I'm I'm sure she is depressed. But there's yeah. also the thing like you, you brought like the article brings out that she's got a coworker saying you should take vacations with the family and she wouldn't even do that. Some yeah. people love to be miserable. Absolutely. Some people they get stuck in that mindset and there's nothing that will ever make them see the sunshine when it's you know the most mm-hmm. beautiful day. Mm-hmm. So um I don't know if that's what Mary had going on there if she was just you know, maybe she needed to be uh, needed to see some somebody to help her through that, or maybe to take some kind of uh, you know uh, drug to help her out of this. But um, yeah, she sounded really, really like nothing was going to change her mind. That's no, I think I think you're absolutely right, and I, I think I mean she certainly sounds like you know clinically depressed, and yeah. if, even if you're not, like that kind of job, I. Uh, I'm thinking of a, uh, a buddy of mine who was uh, asbestos removal. Yeah, that's right. And that too. also requires, you know, again the, uh, you know, the full head mask and the uh, and the suit and the whole deal. And he was making a lot more than Mary Justice, and he mm-hmm. hated it. Yeah, you know, just could not could not stand to to be doing that work. You know, so I, I, I think I think your point is really well taken. Yes. Yeah. And it's got it affects you. I mean, I've done work not like that, but I've done work that you know is very dirty and you can't get 
you know, you're just always, you know, sweaty and hot and just a mess. And it affects you. It, it does deep down. Mm-hmm. It just, and, and, you know, you can do it for a few days and, you know, you get out of it. But if it goes on for weeks, months, years, yeah, it, you know, maybe it's time to look for another job, you know, I don't know. So. Uh, within this emotional vacuum, young John Justice seemed almost a father figure to his little brother. It also appeared to resent him. There were there were no happy relationships in this family. Okay, mm-hmm. it just seems like just nothing. Uh, John was never with friends. He had no social life, no interest in girls. Says Paul Eigenman. He lived for his computer and his books. Yet you got the sense his parents weren't proud of him. Close friend of Mary Justice insists otherwise, that the mother used to boast about her son often at work. Still, the woman believes, the Justices were a family divided. Each of them went their separate ways, she says. John was highly intelligent. His father wasn't so smart. His brother had a learning disability. Who did he have to relate to there? Uh... Okay, I'm so, no, I'm sorry. I mean, this this is this is not to be at the murderer's defense here, but that it's seemingly like some real character assassination here. You know, just in terms of like it's almost a uh, you know a blaming sort of thing, and that the father wasn't so smart, which you know again we have no proof of, but it's just these these people saying about this. Uh, the brother having a learning disability. I mean, just there's. <laughs> I've had close friends with learning disability. I have learning okay. disability. I, I grew up dyslexic. You know, I mean, it's there it's, you go. It's it it's not a. It doesn't mean that you you know are you know wearing a helmet and you can't you know operate vehicles. You know, like driving vehicles. I mean, right, you right. just you just you you you're not equipped the same way other people. Maybe it's justice who can pick up on things so much quicker. Um, mm-hmm. certainly, certainly. Yeah. I, you know, and I mean, I, I get it and there, you know, you, so I have two minds of this, like, yeah. Was Mary proud of her son, John? Probably, you know, probably it's like, he's very smart and he does all the good things in school. That's, you know, and she, she's mm-hmm. probably feels like she's pushing him, you know, uh, if if she's really hard on him, he'll get he'll he'll become even better. It's sort of like that, putting that pressure on that piece of coal to become a diamond kind of thing. The other thing is, there could there be resentment because I have known parents that have seen their children do better than them, and they get kind of resentful that why are they doing better than I ever did? You know, I was wondering, I was wondering if you were gonna if you were gonna bring that up because I I don't know. If if in this case there's any validity to that, you know, there there really isn't enough like context clues to really tell us. But I I was I was sincerely wondering. You know, it, it, it could be a factor, honestly. Um, if and if she's thwarting him so often, I mean, it's either one of two. The you know, she's putting the pressure on the piece of coal to become a diamond, or she is resentful. Because there's no two. I don't see anything in between. Not the not the way that it's presented to us. You know, and this is what we have to go on, you know. So I, I I really think that it was ultimately just, yeah, the pressure that we're putting on him is going to, he's going to really excel. He's going to do it himself. He's going to make his own money. Or it's just that uh, you think you're so smart. Yeah. You think you're so much smarter than Wait till you get to the old world, the real world, and you'll see what it's really like. Right. And it's going to beat you down and blah, right. blah. You know, like the, the type of thing, unfortunately, that those really negative people like 
Mary Justice, it sounds like, mm-hmm. and, uh, would respond. So, right. At Kenmore West, the few classmates who got to know John Justice well say that beneath the agreeable facade he presented to teachers, alert and immature, angry, frustrated boy. He wasn't a typical honor student, says Laura Ferry, senior class vice president. He really hated high school. If he got a poor grade on a test, he'd be so devastated that he'd be uncommunicative for a week. He put so much pressure on himself. More disturbing, says several, say several classmates, was Justice's growing obsession with death. He spoke of becoming a terrorist. We jokingly named him most likely to assassinate a foreign leader, says a friend, and talked of killing his whole biology class as well as the teacher, just like wow. I was talking about. Uh, he'd open his eyes wide and mumble to himself and be absolutely serious, said the student. After a while, even his few friends stopped hanging around him. So he's really showing antisocial behavior, and there's obviously other things at work going on with him. You know, the pressure from working overnights, you know, trying to trying to get into college and have money for that. And it's a lot of pressure to put on a kid, and he might not have been emotionally uh, equipped to deal with this. That bare, bare minimum. Yeah, I mean, we can we can definitely we can definitely say that, but but also too, um, you know, a totally different era. If if you had somebody uh, that you were uh, naming most likely to assassinate a foreign leader, uh, probably somebody was going to mention something to you know the teacher or whomever because no one wants to be you know responsible for not reporting what could be yet another school shooting but right as, right, we, said, exactly. as we said before this is you know this wasn't the case but um you know it's all it's all pretty uh pretty dark stuff man so definitely was clear as friends and neighbors agree college was becoming the focal point of john's hopes fears and imperfectly buried rage when justice won early acceptance late in his junior year to the rose holman institute of technology in indiana he was elated said pavlakis but his delight was squelched by his parents apparent refusal to help with tuition remembers paul eigenman They were always telling him we had to work all our lives for everything, and so do you. Go out and get a job for a couple of years. That's Um, that's pretty crushing. Yeah, well, it just and and because you know, in that day and time, I mean, no, well, I mean, essentially, just being seventeen, a couple of years seems like a life sentence. Yeah, you know, I mean, right now, I mean, me or you can do two years just standing on our heads, but. You know, but back then, you know, when you were when you were a kid, you know, no matter what your uh, your vocation or where what you were planning on, on on doing, having to defer it for two years seems, you know, crazy. crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, In July, his mother at his mother's assistant insistence, Justice gave up plans to work as a volunteer at Buffalo State University Research Project on the effect of unemployment on families and instead took a minimum wage job working 
8 p.m. to midnight shift at the meat locker of Bell Supermarket. The work made it impossible for him to practice with his school, uh, with his school's its academic team, which competed on TV in a sort of college bowl quiz program. I told him he was ruining his prospects for making the first team this year, said Pavlakis. He's, uh, he just shrugged in resignation. So you can tell, I mean, just the fact that this has been mentioned a couple a couple times now is a pretty big deal, you know, and uh, I don't know. I, I think I think maybe the misinformation on the, the supermarket, that was my fault. You know, if if, the, if this says it was a Bell's, it's probably a Bell's. OK, <laughs> I, it's interchangeable. It was, a, it, was it, it was a meat deli. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And it was it was eight to eight to midnight, which is pretty awful. Uh, the article continues. Justice spent uh, Saturday, September 7th at the Erie County Library in downtown Buffalo, said Pavlakis, persuading librarian uh, librarians to put together a list of 50 available college science scholarships. By Monday, that glimmer of hope seemed extinguished. He came into class that day with a punk haircut. He looked even more ab- uh, abject than usual, said, uh, said a classmate. He shoved a desk into the corner at the back of the class and sat there silently. The teacher asked him, why are you sitting back there? John wouldn't answer. The following Sunday night, after the final family battle, Justice left for his job at the supermarket. A co-worker recalls that he was uncharacteristically sullen that night and strangely apathetic. By the time he finished mopping up, at midnight, according to one report, Justice already begun considering killing his family. I think what he did was his way of quitting, said said a one-time friend. Now he doesn't have to deal with anything anymore. It's a unique perspective um, that, sure. I mean, this is obviously everything he's done is premeditated. I mean, he, he thought this all the way through. I can't imagine he didn't. Um, but. Maybe this was like, if I can't get into college, if I can't obviously do the uh, it's academic uh, quiz show, what prospects do I have left? You know, my life is going to become just, uh, uh, you know, like like my parents and maybe seeing his mom working in, you know, du- the DuPont plant and, you know, having this awful job. Maybe he's like, I don't want to do that. Or if or if I mean, you know, just just that uh, that crummy job in the, the Bell's meat department is, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I mean, that's an, that's enough to make any any sane person depressed. You know, I had a uh, I had a, a friend at college my first year who uh, who was working the uh, the fish department mm. at Wegmans, and every time he came back to campus, he smelled like fish. I think it had a really bad effect on his social life. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Um, I think I think I think stinking like fish was really not. But cats loved him. Oh my God! They they would they follow him from like miles around. He was the Pied Piper of cats. Oh my God! It was so sweet, Aaron. You don't even know, man. Ah, oh, beautiful. But beautiful. they're all trying to eat him. Uh, the article continues. <laughs> the article continues. Officer Hinchy is less sympathetic. When you see the bodies of the whole family you knew lying on slabs. Uh, you say yourself, it's amazing what human beings are capable of doing to each other, he says. It's a terrible waste of this kid, but I don't feel sorry for him. I just hope that justice is met out. Ooh. To that end, 
To that end, John Justice is being held without bail at the Erie County Holding Center in Buffalo, charged with four counts of second-degree murder. Friends who have visited him said that he shows uh, no remorse over killing his family, though he he is said to be deeply upset over the death of Wayne Hahn. Indeed, he seems almost reconciled on the prospect of spending the rest of his life behind bars. All through the night at Erie County Medical Center, he kept asking me one thing, call, uh, recalls Tim Ramison. What kind of education can I get in jail? That's really that's really just kind of the, uh, I think, like the key line from, from, from this whole article. It's just what kind of education can I get in jail? The, the, the self-absorption that would lead someone to ask that, you right. know, is, is, um, it's pretty, it's pretty it's absolutely amazing. But in addition, it's just, it also, I think, I think it kind of directly, you know, draws a line to, um, the kind of thinking that would allow an individual to kill his whole family. Yeah, he's he's completely detached from the fact of what he did. I mean, he he knows it factually that he did it, but there's no emotional way to it. Or or if it is, it's not present, you know, to be seen. So, all right. Well, here's here's going to be the 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 story from uh, from uh, really from from there uh, through the remainder of uh, what we know about about John Justice. Uh, this this article is uh, Kenmore Killer Arrested After Threat at Halfway House. Um, this is by Stephen Watson, uh, August 9th, 2006, Buffalo News. John Justice, the Kenmore native who killed his family and a neighbor in one of this area's most notorious crimes, was arrested this week at the Halfway House, where he has lived since his September release from prison. So um, I guess it would have been September of 2005. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Justice was arrested Monday by parole officers after threatening to harm staff of the Grace House transitional residence, said the Reverend Terry King, the facility's executive director. Justice had thrived in the program, working part-time and enrolling in college, of course, but became angry that he couldn't yet move out of the home, King said. Now, Justice is in Erie County Holding Center and faces a hearing on revoking his parole, King said. Justice, 38, had resided in Grace House on Bailey Avenue since last September when he was released after serving 20 years in prison for the murders. The September 16, 1985 killing shocked his quiet neighborhood, Justice, 17 at the time, was convicted of second-degree murder for fatally stabbing his mother and causing the death of neighbor Wayne Hahn in a car accident. He was found not responsible by reason of insanity in the fatal stabbings of his father and brother, but remained in prison after a January 1993 retrial. There's some strange logic there. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And that's that's what I was going to ask you about is 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 that something you've ever heard of before? No. I mean, obviously you could say that somebody was, you know, uh, you know, some reason of insanity, you know, you've you killed somebody out of like pure rage or you just lost control or or you know, you have psychological issues. But how do you get pinned for killing mother? Yeah. 
and yeah. then his father and bro- he killed his father. I mean, he killed his brother before t- before all this. So yes, I, he was the first. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, I I haven't you know I don't know I don't I haven't read the trial transcript, so I don't know. But right, me neither, admittedly. But it still it just seems it seems very strange to me. Mm-hmm. But but probably I mean that's just lawyers. Could, yeah, plea bargaining and trying to get things to, you know, to, to be tidied up so they could just get this thing prosecuted, you know, so it doesn't be a long, drawn-out trial or anything like that. Yeah, it's it's a good point. It's a good point, actually. So, Justice's request for parole was turned down four times before his conditional release into the halfway house. Justice had done well in that setting, King said, working part-time at a warehouse-type job and enrolling in classes for the upcoming semester at a local college campus. He came back with a lot of odds against him, King said. He had regular therapy sessions and frequent visits from a parole officer, and he wore an electronic monitoring device. Justice was not on psychiatric medication, King said. That's surprising. Ah, but maybe he didn't. Maybe didn't need that. Maybe he. I don't think he. I don't think he was at a point where he was like, like delusional. I just think he's bereft of uh, conscience. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, then, no. You're 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 absolutely right. I mean, there's there's no there's no medication that's going to cure or really assist uh, a sociopath. Right. And right. and I, I think maybe. Um, that's what we're describing here. Now, unfortunately, it's been it's been way too long since I've spent some time with the the psychiatric diagnoses, so I can't really say anything there. But it is it is interesting then, you know, because of that. So, Justice was directed to live for one year at the halfway house. After that, staff would work with parole and mental health officials to develop a treatment program. An independent living arrangement for him, King said. That wasn't to John's liking. He wanted a date specific, and he decided Monday was the day. Justice became agitated to the point that he threatened to hurt and kill King and other staffers. With his history, I take those threats seriously, King said. Damn straight. Yeah, absolutely. That That's just self-preservation. Yeah. Uh, King contacted parole officers who evaluated the situation and took Justice into custody. If Justice's parole is revoked after a hearing, he could be returned to jail for up to one year, said Scott E. Steinhardt, spokesman for the State Division of Parole. I mean, it's funny. Here you have 20 years mm-hmm. to the date, and and yep. then he's doing the whole thing. I mean, it's not obviously doesn't come up with the same horrible uh, outcome, but... You know, he he wants something. He's not getting it, and he thinks he's going to take things into his own hands by physically threatening. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's an old it's it's an old trick, and it didn't work then. I mean, and it's not working now. And I don't know. No, no, I no, I I understand what what you're getting at, and it's just like yeah, the whole year of you know, good behavior essentially just gets, you know, the mask falls off and then he's like threatening to kill you. And it's like, okay, no, that, that failed, you know? So, yeah.
so the article here is Justice Released from Prison in 1985 Murders but Gets Civil Confinement by Melinda Miller, September 16th, 2015, Buffalo News. When John D. Justice landed back behind bars eight years ago after failing at parole, he asked if he'd be allowed to serve his complete sentence for killing his parents, brother, and neighbor, believing he later could walk out of prison free from any restrictions. He got his wish, at least partially. Justice was released from a state prison earlier this month after serving 30 years to the day when he committed one of the most notorious crimes in recent local history killing his family in their Kenmore home and then killing another man in what is described as a suicide attempt. But Justice, now 47, didn't walk out the gates of the Great Meadow Correction Facility in Washington County on his own on September 4th. John Justice was released from custody of the Department of Corrections and committed to the custody of the Office of Bill Health. Erie County District Attorney Frank A. Sedita III said Wednesday the anniversary of the killings. The state Supreme Court Justice Stance Pritzker in Washington County granted the state's request in late August that justice be declared mentally unfit for release, Sedita said. The result is that justice would now be committed to a secure psychiatric facility. One likely possibility is that justice was declared dangerously mentally ill, which allows a person's involuntary commitment to a mental facility. New York has several secure mental health centers for individuals who, according to the law, have demonstrated violent or homicidal behavior that could be put others at reasonable fear of being harmed. Uh, the Department of Corrections notified the Kenmore Police Department that justice is being released from prison, but didn't indicate where he went. Normally, when we get these things, they usually give us some kind of address or idea where they're living, said Chief Brettnauser, said Wednesday. This had nothing on it. Brettnauser checked with the State Division of Parole and was told that Justice was still incarcerated on civil commitment without saying where. He eventually was found guilty by reason of insanity in the murders of his father and brother, and after the initial verdict was overturned, was found guilty of manslaughter in the death of his mother in Han. His former defense attorney, John R. Nurturino, has uh, said of Justice, he functions with high intellect, which runs parallel to a devastating mental disease. Justice spent part of his time in prison formulating and filing dozens of lawsuits pertaining to the handling of his case. He was released on September 2005, but wound up back in prison two years later after violating conditions of his parole, reportedly by threatening workers at the Buffalo Halfway House where he lived. Prior to being returned to the state prison in 2007, Justice told the news that he would prefer to remain behind bars rather than live in a halfway house again. In 2013, New Torino, who was no longer representing Justice, said that during the parole hearings in 2006, Justice voluntarily resubmitted himself into the jurisdiction of the Office of Mental Health, perhaps assuming it would help his case. I don't think he realized he was resubmitting a possible lifelong jurisdiction, said Nutrino. People such as Justice, who are under involuntary civil commitment, face an open-ended term of confinement, with any future possible of release depend dependent on the results of periodic evaluations of their mental health and stability. So, so he, basically, he, he basically has completely institutionalized himself into the prison system. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that's certainly how it appears to me. Because you go back through this, and it's pretty much saying that uh, 
This uh, new Torino here can't make it any clearer. I don't think he realized he was resubmitting to possible lifelong jurisdiction, which means essentially, I mean, it just if they wouldn't have done that unless he, I think, um, had already shown. um, What is it? I'm I'm looking for the actual phrase if I if I can. Oh, yeah. Individuals who, according to the law have demonstrated violent or homicidal behavior that could put other people at a reasonable fear of being harmed. I mean, that's that's really about as, uh, as clear as you get. And he, you know, as we talked before, he was found not guilty of reason of insanity for murder of his father and brother in the initial verdict. And right. if that's the case, you know, they could put that underpinning of, you know, that that's the reason why he's in you know, the, this uh, psychiatric care through New York State. Um, mm-hmm. And it would make sense. Honestly, it does make sense. I mean, I don't know if he was that way before he committed the murders, but obviously there are some things that are not all there. Oh, yeah. Him. No, absolutely. Uh, I, I, think, I think one of those things is just that if he's still years later, you know, and, and, and at the time that he was he was removed from the halfway house, that was like 21 years after after the murders uh, that that he was threatening to uh, to kill others. No, but I, I think what I mean, there's two things. One mm-hmm. pre John, John Justice, pre the murder of his family and obviously the uh, killing of uh, Han mm-hmm. is sympathetic. You feel for this guy. He's like, God, you know, he's got promise. He could things could you know, his life could change, and if if you could get the right kind of combination of maybe mentor or uh, the right kind of life map put out for him, that maybe he could work this out. Um, no, that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it it feels like that way, and mm-hmm. but when the murders take place, it's it's different. And like if he murdered his mom on a fit of rage, or maybe you could excuse it. Not that that's right at all. But maybe you could say he just went nuts. He just lost his mind, and he got so angry and so frustrated he did that. But the fact that he kills his brother, who is literally just his brother, has nothing to do with anything that's happening. Then he kills his mother, and then he goes this, picks up his father, and and drives him home, and does it, and, and kills him in, in the house. I mean, it's it's all so you know, just diabolical. I mean, there's no other, I mean, it's just awful. It's, and no, it's, it's really, it's really just, I mean, it, it, it's funny. And I think the only, the only reason that I'm not more horrified by it now is just because I've been desensitized by, um, you know, however many years in the meantime, like 30, 35 years, mm-hmm. you know, since, since all this went on, there was actually, there's another article uh, the one from the uh, the New York Times I did I did mention earlier, but I didn't include any any edits from that or anything along those lines, just because there was a lot of of repetition. Still, there there was there was also just um, that that sense that uh, I think we got in in uh, in the main article here, but even even more so in a, in, in that that other article was. John could have been something else and that if his parents or one of his parents 
uh, had taken a different tack with him, that could have been a different story. And I, as, as sympathetic as I might be with any kind of awkward or, you know, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, intelligent or nerdy or, you know, whatever kind of kid. And I am sympathetic because, I mean, basically, you know, I grew up, I was in a home just like uh, John Justice's. And I, I mean that, like, literally, like, you know, it's just kind of like there was like four people living in this, you know, kind of ranch style home. It was it it was tense for me. Yeah. And I wasn't and I was I, you know, I, I had my issues with my folks, but it was nothing remotely like you know, what we're talking about with John Justice. You know, I think that, you know, just through, like, I had I had some advantages that he didn't have. You know, it's like I had, uh, I had uh, you know, a small group of friends who kept me afloat. I had rock music, you know, it's like these these type of things that Carry you know, through. made me not kill my family. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's just with, with him, I mean, you know, I, I really, I really don't think there was ever going to be another end to this story. I think, I think it's just, if anything, specifically Mary justice, just fan the flames. Yeah. And, you know, maybe then it just happened I think I think that's what we're talking about is a pretty some pretty minor difference. I think a lot of us grew up like Justice. You know, we grew up, uh, you know, out of working class families and, you know, they had, you know, we, we saw our parents, you know, really just in the drudgery of work. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't want that for ourselves. Uh, we didn't want to end up where they were. And we had aspirations of whatever we wanted to do with our lives. And, you know, and some of us found that and some of us, you know, had a clear idea what we wanted. Justice was actually very fortunate that he had an idea where he wanted to go. Uh, He wanted to either be a chemical engineer or a marine biologist, you know. So he's ahead of the game from a lot of people. A lot of people are like, I don't know what I want to do. So Hmm. that's good. He just unfortunately never had the, the... you know, the, the structure, the lattice work to get him to climb those, those rungs. And, and he never had, I mean, obviously there's something else lacking. I mean, there's, man, he's got a detachment from what would you could call just your genuine humanity of things of just the, you know, other people's lives and the sanctity of their lives and that it means something. Um, I don't know if that was, you know, learned by working at a place like, you know, the the deli, the meat, you know, and you just learn that all things end up to be just be meat and bone and blood and it doesn't mean anything. Maybe that's what kind of like affected him or maybe it was something deep down in his psyche that never could be treated. You know, Um, who the hell knows? Uh, Right. I mean, honestly, I think it's probably a combination of the two. And then something else on top of that, you know what I mean? And then, and then you become the killer, you know, as he had, mm-hmm. and then you were labeled by that for the rest of your life. So it doesn't matter if, you know, he, you know, you know, became an arborist and planted trees all throughout America and, and did all these great things for, for, uh, ecology. <laughs> they just know him as the murderer, you know, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and that's a thing too. You you become identified as one thing, and 
especially something as heinous as he did, you'll never be forgot for that. No, no. And I mean, like, nor should he be, you right. know, but, but it's still, it's, uh, it's just one, one of those, uh, one of those situations where there's just, um, I, I just, I just don't, I just don't see, um, you know, any kind of a, a good outcome, you know, I mean, in terms, in terms of, you know, obviously not for, you know, the individuals murdered or even sure. John justice who spent all that time in jail or prison. And, um, but just, I mean, there's no, there's no lesson to be gained. I, I, I don't think. I, I walk away from this wondering, and this is a conversation that we could have in another time because it's way too deep, but does the prison system actually reform people to become better people? So here you have John Justice who served basically 20 years before going to this halfway house the first time. And he can't, you know, he can't deal with the idea that they're not going to give him a time of his release date and when he can go back to independent living and all that stuff that he wanted. So he resorts to violence because that's all he knew. Here he was working so hard, and then he just blew it apart at the last because he's not emotionally able to handle it. Uh, and if if that's the case, if there's no redemption for what you've done, yeah. then what's the point of the prison system? And that's a whole other subject. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no doubt. And and also, I mean, just just even using the term redemption in you know like in basically in in the sense of what you know happens yeah. in prison to human beings like um aside aside from the the french writer john Genet, there's not a lot of people that i've ever heard of who've talked about prison in the sense of of redemption i may just be reading the wrong books but um you know, because I know that, of course, there's stories, you know, from uh, the Bible and elsewhere of individuals who were, you know, th- thieves at bare minimum. You know, I don't know about murderers, but, you know, but again, achieving redemption yeah. uh, uh, through atonement for their sins. And I I think one of the issues there is that I don't think that a sense of atonement is built into the prison system in any way no. I mean, at all, at all. You know, I don't know what the answer for all this is. I mean, I'm just saying I'm just talking. But my feeling is, you know, um, wh- where is that getting us, you know, for guys like John Justice? And I don't feel sympathy for him for what he did. I don't feel sympathy that, you know, obviously he had a chance to get out and he mm-hmm. blew it by doing, you know, pulling the same, you know, actions that he did before. You know, this is the this is the right. same play. No yeah. progress. Yeah, yes. you ran that play before, man. It didn't work. Yeah, <laughs> come up with a different strategy, you know. And uh, he didn't know how to handle it. So, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. um, the, the other thing I want to ask you, just jumping subjects, is this happened in, uh, you know, obviously when you were in Kemmer West, and yes, what was the. I mean, this had to be pandemonium in the hallways, basically. What was what was going on there? And and I've thought about this too because you know the the way that the way that everything kind of felt like it was happening at once because Gary M, you know, um, unless you knew him personally, 
you wouldn't have gotten the news about his suicide. Yeah, Kathy Harold, you know, you you wouldn't have gotten that story unless you knew heads. And yeah. you know, we personally didn't, you know. But the John Justice thing happened in in real time. You know, it happened after school had started and it happened, you know, while we were in school and there uh, unlike the other situations there was there was no way to avoid it you know because that was on that was on the the eyewitness news that was in the buffalo news you know it was the whole the whole schmear um what it felt like to me honestly which is it's going to it's going to sound nasty but again we were teenage kids and it was just really exciting it mm. just it was just like like holy shit did you hear about what that crazy fucker did he killed his entire family and then he ran into that guy's car and and it, things were just you know going like wildfire at that point of course just like with any uh real tragedy of course there were like a bunch of you know nasty jokes and stuff you know sure. I no right, memory right. of them but you know i, I, I th- that was there just juvenile behavior, right? right. Oh, well, 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 totally, totally. Right. But there wasn't, there certainly wasn't, um, you know, when I'm looking back and we're, we're going through this process, and I, I was just thinking about it right right before you asked me that, um, you know, because it's, it's so, it's so doomy. You know, we're on, we're on uh, episode five here, and it's like, it's been pretty much like pretty dark, you yeah. know, going yeah. the whole way. Right. And, there wasn't a sense uh, of that of that darkness. You know, why would somebody my age or close to my age do something like that? And why did he kill his younger brother? You know, how messed up is it that he killed the guy at the stoplight? Uh, mm-hmm. I wonder how many. You know, it just there 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 just wasn't really that that sense of of any of it it was really much more about um you know just kind of like the lurid like gaudiest aspects sure it, yeah you know and that's and honestly kids kids 16 17 years old that's exactly what they're talking about they don't care about the the emotional weight you know about the lives that were lost or or any of that that's not that's not on your mind at that time and i get that i i I, you know i'm you know i don't have a 17 year old but i have a teenager so I, i i see a lot of that so um it's hard for them to process i mean maybe they understand that obviously that's awful but there's there's jokes to be made and there's uh, yeah. you know, gossip to be talked about. So it's, right. I, I just curious. I mean, it had to be just complete insanity hearing this come out and then just people just talking constantly. And I don't, you know, sure. I can't only imagine what the camera West staff, what's going through their heads during this. Cause here's like one of their prize students. This is the kid that, you know, maybe not the kid that was going to, you know, put their name on for Kemmer West high school, but you know, this could have a potential. One of them, you know, definitely, definitely. And and Peter Popmachus. Yeah. He completely implodes. I mean, just, yeah. I mean, completely, there was no, you know, and, and again, you know, if you're not dealing with a sociopath, there's, it's hard enough for, I think, teenagers 
to look at a situation, see multiple answers. Right. You know, without just saying it like, look, like, well, I'm screwed then. They're not right. going to pay for college, you know, right. um, that, that, that type of thing. And, um, but yeah, to it, like a teenage sociopath. And again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not using that term clinically because, you know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a psychologist and mm -hmm. I, I haven't looked at that stuff, but it is, it is the, um, the mode of operation that, that strikes me right. as the closest you can get to describing John justice. So. Yeah. Well, well, man, um, this is very interesting. Um, oh, yeah, man. Obviously, yeah. this is this has captured people's attention for the Kenmore and Western New York era for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's got it grabbed headlines uh, mm -hmm. nationwide, and you know it shocked everybody. It really did. Sure, you know it was it it, it struck it struck really deeply. Like I said, even even uh, even. Um, it wasn't this episode, but another talked about uh, uh, Johnny Thunders, who's in the New York Dolls and the Heartbreakers, and he uh, he was fascinated by, right. by John Justice and, and this this whole thing. And that that guy, you got to figure, was probably pretty jaded. You know, he'd yeah. seen some stuff that would uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Make probably some pretty freaked out stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But luckily, Aaron, uh, next week. We're going to consider the culture of Kenmore, New York in the 1980s, specifically 1985, and uncover several important cultural touchstones. So uh, expect to, uh, expect to uh, lighten up. The Return to Snakeland podcast was created by... Aaron O'Brien and Jason Gussman. All music written and performed by Dotson Moon. If you like what you've heard, you can access more Dotson Moon music at dotsonmoon.bandcamp.com. If you have any information as to the 1985 murder of Kathy Harold, please contact us at our email address, returntosnakeland at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have an interest in further historic materials from the period, or information on the Return to Snakeland graphic novel, please come see us at returntosnakeland.com. If you would like to contribute in order to ensure the future of this podcast, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com front slash return to snakeland. Thanks for everything. See you next time.